So what becomes clear as you study and look at the Buddha's teachings is how he's <coughs> very much uh, emphasizing the uh, multiplicity of factors that uh, unite to to liberate the mind and the multiplicity of factors that unite to hinder the mind. <laughs> and it's really like the fourth Satipatthana is just about <coughs> those some of those lists of uh, dhammas, processes that hinder or obstruct awakening or to support it. And, uh, you know, it's like... That is always the emphasis, really, is on the way and the process. The goal is mentioned, you know, nibbana, deathless, unconditioned, these sorts of things. But, uh, you know, it's sort of placed there as a, as a recognition, you know, that this is, there is a result or a fruition or a arrival, you could say. You yeah. know, what, what is that, you know? But a lot of it is mostly about the... Uh, what is what is the way and what is not the way, Dhamma. So in his first sutta, the first sermon, you know, you know what you're looking for in a way, or you think you do. One has a certain aspiration for, yeah. And he says, well, you don't really have to set that up, but uh, look at how it's going wrong. You know, what, what's obstructing it? Look at the way. And then he talks about the two extremes. Um, mortification, uh, asceticism, and uh, sense gratification. So this is talking to a group of ascetics. Mm. And uh, very often this is the way the the Buddha would teach, just to say, where are you at? And then where where are you getting it wrong? Or what are the kind of polarities that your mind inclines towards that cause the Sticking points. <clears throat> so we practice, we just start to like, you know, stabilize and then you witness where is the mind getting stuck, where is it releasing, what are the underlying currents. Since we don't really want to suffer, how come we keep doing it? Somehow, some pieces are just not not understood. There's a very nice. Um, thought I'd go look at one of the suttas, the, sh- the shorter discourse on the lion's roar, and I won't go through all of it. But he's comparing his teachings to those of wanderers of other sects, and he says, <clears throat> and so they're saying, well, you know, we have our teaching and. Our sangha and our teacher. What's the difference between you and us? And then wanderers of other sects who ask thus may be answered in this way. How then, friends, is the goal one or many? Answering rightly, the wanderers of other sects would answer thus. Friends, the goal is one, not many. You know, they're looking for, mm, there's only one true goal, you might say. 
The friends is that goal for one affected by lust or passion or free from it. Answering rightly, the wanderers of other sects would answer thus, friends, that goal is for one free from lust or passion, not for one affected by it. But friends, is that goal for one affected by hate or free from hate? Friends, that goal is for one free from hate, not for one affected by hate. Is that goal for one affected by delusion or free from delusion? Goal is for one free from delusion, not affected by delusion. So these are fairly obvious. Is that goal for one affected by craving, thirst, or free from it? Friends, that goal is one free from craving. Is that goal for one affected by clinging, or free from clinging? They would answer, friends, that goal is one free from clinging, not for one affected by clinging. Is that goal for one who has vision, or for one without vision? That goal is for one with vision, not for one without vision. But friends, is that goal for one who favours and opposes, or for one who does not favour and oppose? Answering rightly, they would answer, friends, that goal is for one who does not favour and oppose, not for one who favours and opposes. But friends, is that goal for one who delights in and enjoys proliferation, of one who does not delight in and enjoy proliferation. Answering rightly, they would answer, Friends, that goal is for one who does not delight in and enjoy proliferation, not for one who delights in and enjoys proliferation. And so some of these terms obviously need some teasing out. Because there are these two views, the view of being and the view of non-being. Any recluses or Brahmins who rely on the view of being, adopt the view of being, accept the view of being, are opposed to the view of non-being. Any recluses or Brahmins who rely on the view of non-being, adopt the way of non-being, accept the view of non-being, are opposed to the view of being. So, any recluses or Brahmins who do not understand as they actually are the origin, disappearance, gratification, danger, and the escape in the case of these two views are affected by lust, hatred, delusion, craving, clinging, without vision, given to favoring and opposing, and they delight and enjoy proliferation. They are not freed from birth, aging and death, from sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. They are not freed from suffering, I say. <clears throat> and he says the, then the, the uh, opposite those who are, who do understand the origin, disappearance, gratification, danger and escape in case of the views of being and non-being are free from suffering. So here it's not the, the more obvious uh, two extremes of asceticism and self and indulgence that the Buddha is talking about, but two different views. And you might say that in a way they are um, a similar um, diagram is being presented the way the mind will tend to favour one side or another side and cling to that and as it clings adheres to that proliferation or it's called papancha meaning 
literally something like thoroughly fiving it, which means just making it very complicated, something that is quite simple, making it complex, um, projecting it, um, making a whole whole tangle and uh, complication out of something that's... uh, because the mind is, is stuck and it creates all this uh, stuff. And the kind of proliferations that occur are, am I, am I not? What will I be? How will I be? How can I be? What Being this, will I be that? Having been this, will I become that? Uh, all of this um, sense of this self. Mm-hmm. So the proliferation for puncha, there's three factors to it, craving, thirst, um, mana, which means conceiving, conceiving oneself, ditti, forming a strong view, I am this. <clears throat> so you see that when you look at this, is the break puncher down as this, these three factors. So this is all, everything is really just um, various factors coming together. So the, the thirst, Thirst for being, being something, being solid, being substantial, having a future, having a past, mm. Identif- something that, that we are, <clears throat> the third noble truth, bhava tanha, a thirst for being a position, uh, a psychological um, form, I am one of these, this is what I am. And then around that, that being the, the heart or the center of a whole grabbing at things that shore up one's sense of identity, status, praise, <coughs> possessions, activities and so forth. So around this, this, this uh, central hunger, And the opposite, vibhava, or non-being, or non-becoming, this also is in the, in the sorry, in the second noble truth. <coughs> the thirst for non-being, vibhava tanha, means you know, to be someone who is not, is apart from, is separate from all this. So the, the getting out of it, uh, escapism or... Mm, So, sort of annihilationism on extreme, kind of wipe wipe out the traces of the mind, rather than see them for what they are. So both of these, in a way, aim for a certain finality. One is something, or one is definitely not something. Yeah. And uh, so the Buddha is saying, any of these, you'll always end up with this uh, craving, uh, conceiving, and then the view, this is what I am, I'm out of this, or I'm into this. It's not uh, conceptual, it's um, much more attitudinal. So we look at things like views, obviously these can be dogmatic views, but... uh, my sense with this is you look at it something that's much more deeply 
ingrained its uh, attitudinal assumptions you know, that are almost involuntary. Looking at something like a self-view is not, you know, it can be consciously bolstered up, but a lot of the time it's just basic default of how the mind operates. It takes the center as a certain sense of something's happening to me, you know, and then I, so this, the I, the me, seems to be the affected object that things happen to. It's the me sense, it's happening to me, because it's certainly the mind is receiving something, there's something receiving, or an appearance, an experience of receiving things. And then the I is the agent, you know, I do. So certainly there's a response, there's effect and response, this is chitta, mind, the effect, me, is held to be me, and the response is held to be I. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's that's the conceiving out of what is really effect and response. Now there certainly is effect and response, but the bhava vibhava forms around that to say this is what I am, or this is what I, you know, I'm not. And then around that, all the proliferations of uh, what I will be, could be, should be, never was, and so on. Mm-hmm. So tang- tangles up. I would just kind of contemplate how the mind operates, and it's these uh, many of these teachings, you know, don't really refer to a meditation theme. Specifically, in a way, I guess they are saying you've already got some way of centering and calming the mind, steadying it. You, know, you have some already some sense of you're looking for clarity, you understand skillful, unskillful, you can feel pain, disagreeable mental objects, and you want you know freedom from that. So, these are all kind of taken for granted. And then you need to contemplate the mind. Mm. Is this experience? And then the more uh, <coughs> vision and clarity is one who does not favor and oppose. As we favor some mental state or we feel that sense of um, trying to uh, make more of it, adopt it, hold it, oppose, resist, um, then already you're setting up a counter-current in the mind. This is a very cryptic statement because you say, well, certainly if you're trying to develop Meditation, you want to certainly favor something, you know, calm and oppose other things, distraction. <clears throat> but what is meant here is apparently is reacting with attraction through lust and aversion through hate. So it's, there's a sense of um, just recognizing that the favoring is associated with. Uh, Fascination, like um, 
an instinctive rather than a chosen clarity. It's an instinctive, you know, aversion or or um, craving, greed. So when we start to you know reflect on such teachings, how much of one's very meditation practices of you know following those patterns and paths. Is it possible to see things as they actually are? If you notice, uh, yes, contemplating the processes of the mind, the mental factors that arise, the streams of thought, you know, we sort of staying calm, attentive. There's places where those streams fade out or the mind kind of slips out of them. He doesn't want them anymore. You know, you're in something and then, uh, you know, it sort of fades. And there has to be a further input to keep it going. It's by, the, by themselves, mental objects, mental processes tend to fade. And you just want to be clear and watchful of that that that. F- that factor, that, that way they actually are. You mean dreaming about the future, and there's a you know trying to work out the future, and there's a point at which it oh it just doesn't want to do it anymore. So then we there's a kind of small awakening, mind for a moment, and you want to f- follow that. So it's not. It's moving out of time. You come back to the present. You find yourself waking up to the present. It's only perhaps for a few seconds sometimes. And we use the mindfulness of breathing more or less as an anchor, as a mooring post, so it's something to come back to. It gives you some sense of being able to come out of that, the push and the pull of the mind just to back to something very simple that's happening by itself. And a moment of some sense of really seeing, witnessing, stuff changing, passing. And it's quite a gentle process. Repeatedly. You also recognize that the, in the Buddha's teachings a whole range of it from you know, meditation to reflection to um, conduct uh, to karma, cause and effect with a sense that there's a fixed law about karma. It's fixed. This is whatever you intend. You get the result of that. So, in a way, you know, that's, you're bound to get the result of that. So if you intend towards um, you know, obsessiveness, then you get the result of that. You tend towards aversion, criticism towards yourself or others, you get the result of that. You tend towards kindness, you get the result of that. You tend towards simplification, you get the result of that. Mm. So often we deliberately seed the mental processes. So it's 
reflections. On karma, on our death, on Buddha, on the path, deliberately think things through. Just putting that intention there. Checking out. Why is it that most people are suffering? Why is it that almost everyone is suffering? And you look at the, you know, the intensity of it in the world. Here we're not following the worldly values of gaining, competing, fighting, demanding, jealousy, complaining, power, acquisition. Yeah. So you, just, you, you know, come back to that. Of course, this is what we do. But also you just keep remembering that there is that intention. So the intention, when your intention is you touch into it, you tune into it, that has a natural clarifying effect. And it can be the case with the, the, the mind's delusion or confusions is that there's a lot of good there that we're not actually checking in with. We're not tuning in to that. We're just caught with the, we parker, the random sense contacts that happen in this field of, sen- of the sense form, sensuality of being a person. So you, all this stuff just comes in through the senses. And then you're very much one, somebody who's caught or affected or or form, the mind is formed by random input events, days contact, touches, sights sounds and you want to actually turn it around so you're formed from the centre rather than from the periphery rather than that which comes to you kind of comes you know, you select it, you say well let's start with what do I intend, where's my centre, where's my integrity, start there Spend a good time reflecting on it. You know, one who abandons worldly values is not inclining towards greed, hatred, and delusion. You know? Doesn't mean they're not affected by those things, but that's not the that's not the the centre. That's not what we're taking as a as a as our tune, as our theme. Strive to abandon my former habits. So. Someone is actually interested in putting forth some energy to, you know, not just going along, but definitely deciding things that have I have done. I don't want to keep doing those. Stop that. And not that we just, not only we do we do it, but we remember it. Remember it, and the Buddha's recommendation is again and again. Remember it frequently. Remember it frequently. It's not just the information that you require, but the tuning in to your own skillful intention, remembering it, because the intention of the mind gets buried or gets diverted by input, by things happening. You know, get caught in praise, gain, um, future, destinies, past, you know, something we can get hold of. Those things are there for us, so, you, you know, you get caught in it, comfort, how nice it is to feel comfortable. But we didn't really come here to be comfortable. <laughs> you know? 
to uh, relinquish. So as these, uh, you know, things can take over, can't they? Obsessions take over. Anutsaya, latent tendencies come up. We find ourselves getting absorbed in things that are not really about the purpose or the goal. Mm-hmm. Business duties and so on. But then your intention is responsible. We, you know, acting with clarity, with integrity, with effort, with energy. You know, so it doesn't mean you're just ignoring the world, but actually you're starting to find your center. And then, how do you come from that? What are your central values? What is it to be abandoned? What is to be developed? Mm-hmm. So. That sense. Whether these are, you know, and the point of karma is that if you keep that there, it's bound to have results. If you keep aligning yourself to that intention, it's bound to have results. You just look out for ways in which they can be brought forth. So the process of Becoming and non-becoming is to do with a sense of self, selfing. And our effort is not about self, it's about intention and karma. So it's more about factors that give rise to future factors, not about me being something so that I will be something else. There's a difference there. You keep, you don't never, then you never achieve anything. <laughs> no sense of achieving anything. It's just the sense of you know, less of that, less of the suffering. That's, that's what counts in the end. Whatever system, technique, method you use, that you're clear, in a calm, unforced way, there's less suffering here. You don't have to proliferate around where you are, how attained you are, how unattained you are, whether you'll never be attained, whether you're on the verge of it, whether it's completely out of reach, how long it's going to take, why me, you know, it doesn't have that, all that can be put aside. You just know that this, when this occurs, these are the factors of doubt or craving or aversion or whatever it is. And just keep the sense of let, letting go of that and coming back to that purity of intention. It's like a tuning fork and you keep hitting middle C. And it tends to go off into B flat <laughs> or be very sharp. But you want to come back to middle C, just doom this. And what's it like? What do you see there? What do you what do you sense there? Hmm? Incredible sort of myriad of factors dissolving, thoughts popping up, sensations, feelings, and then somewhere in there, the sense of steadying, breathing, kind of a calm quality. That's the way the mind is. It is actually empty. Empty, but... uh, always being filled up, always things flooding through it, and yet there is an empty centre to it. 
which is normally occupied by the me sense. And we start to, you know, that, that the me sense forms in this kind of inner emptiness. Because certainly there are sensations and thoughts and impressions happening. But the, mo- the place of being affected and responding. Now, if there isn't somebody, you know, being touched and having to do something, that that, that effect response goes quiet, doesn't it? Like, you know, somebody you know, walking along with somebody's in the monastery and then somebody's talking about details of plumbing and you just realise, oh, nothing to do with me, you know. So it's not, I'm not there for that. I don't know anything about plumbing. It's not my job. It just doesn't, you don't get affected. Uh, so you're, you're empty in regard to that particular thing. There isn't a particular effect apart from an acknowledgement of it's not me, it's not mine, you know. And so you're just, you're not averse to it or fascinated by it, it's just not, you're not there. It's not, not happening to you. It's like somebody talking in a, in a language you don't understand. You just notice, is that, okay, some sounds, people talking to each other. And I'm not there, you know, and it's empty. So there can be the hearing, but there isn't the being affected, being touched by that. So this is the contact impression, the contact ceases. It's still the, the contact is still happening through the senses, but there isn't that contact happening to the mind. The mind isn't rippling, resonating with that. Just the recognition of, oh, it's not me, it's not mine. And then, so there doesn't have to be any response apart from that. So instead of that bounce and that ripple and that forming, there's... Mm, an emptying. Yeah. It's, it's, we can see that, sense that happening, you know, with various phenomena. But the ones where it doesn't happen to are the ones where it's my thoughts, my mind. Then the contact is very, very uh, evocative and volatile. Now, can it be the case that just bearing this in mind, we start to, you know, attend to our mental processes with more equanimity, dispassion, tuning into and using intention, you know, that's what are you really you know, clear, relinquishment, Steadying, using breathing. And so the, the center is left, um, not being bounced up and down. Now, obviously, the experience me, mine, and I is not just purely some concept. You don't think it, or thoughts come later, but there's the, the fundamental emotional psychological reactivity so so that's where clinging uh, the taking the uh, feeding on 
What's it like to be fasting? Just the fasting of the of the mind. This is dispassion. So factors like this, attention, calm, focusing, intentionality, dispassion, equanimity, repetition. You know, these are the factors that, uh, you know, there's just a handful. They can be expressed in different ways. Hiriotapa, sense of conscience and concern, and this is this particular acting in this way. Surely this is not skillful. You know, following this train of thoughts is not wholesome, it's not good. You know, the sense of, you know, where's this going to take me? You know? And really bringing those factors into play. This is our, our effort. But it's not to be something, but to notice what isn't there when skillful factors are brought to bear. The results are like this. Consequences are this way. Is there any suffering there? We see the sense of the suffering, stress, pushiness, resistance, Diminishing. Well, that must be the way to practice. The view of practice. It's about dependent arising. It's about you know gathering together skillful factors and recognizing that the the stuckness or the me sense is really also combined out of all kinds of different factors: clinging, craving habit, inattention, that's what builds it up. So there's nothing really, no person, nothing to eliminate, but just to relax and release these unskillful dumbers and and bring to mind, recognize the presence of, foster, enhance the skillful ones. You do this with thinking, clearly thinking, reviewing. Most people tend to move between you know, considering things wisely and then quietening the thinking process, going into the body, steadying, stabilizing, or maybe just steadying the body first to get some clarity of thought. So you, and, and then emotional factors such as kindness, compassion, equanimity, and patience. So these are more heart factors. And it's through the blend of these that we form practice.